Yeah, I have no idea what's going on with my little intro video, but it ain't looking good. So I'm just gonna go on to the main screen. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you for joining me this evening on the Gospel Truth. We have another great debate for you guys this evening. And uh, I hope you guys are excited for this one, man. I have uh, God Logic with me and I have Taylor Stewart with me and we are gonna have fun with this debate. So I hope you guys are looking forward to it as I am looking forward to it. But before I bring you guys in, I do wanna make sure you know to subscribe to the gospel truth hit that notification bell and make sure you do that uh so stay in line stay in the ready lane with the gospel truth so you don't miss out on anything that the gospel truth is doing so uh that's the way you do it is by subscribing and hitting that notification bell also the content of the gospel truth is on other platforms in various forms you have facebook youtube obviously you're on youtube uh x or twitter and instagram and tiktok so make sure you go ahead and uh, subscribe and follow on those platforms as well and this content is on podcast though i haven't updated the podcast in quite some time this content is on podcast apple uh, itunes google play stitcher so make sure you do that on the podcast so you will have your audio option there for the gospel truth all right and as always i do have some shows that are coming up here in the future that i want you guys to be aware of all right coming up on a gospel truth i have solo scriptura debate coming up here soon i have william arbridge and i have theo coming on the gospel truth and we're gonna have a fun conversation fun debate on solo scriptura so i hope you guys are looking forward to that one and after that, I have a just a recently established debate. I have Jerry Rice, I have uh, Matthew uh, Brent, Brendan, and I have uh, Mahler, and I have JP uh, going to be coming on. They're going to have a discussion concerning the tulips, the tulip, should I say, of Calvinism. And this should be a fun discussion, open discussion. So hopefully you'll be able to join us on that show. After that, I have a oneness debate versus Trinitarian, Dr. Michael Burgos and David Barton, John David Barton, that the son exists with the father. That's coming up soon. So make sure you are jumping on this one so you don't miss out on it. All right. After that, I have a, another one is Trinitarian debate. Is Jesus the Father? So I have uh, Father Jonathan Evanoff and I have uh, uh, Brandon Nero. And so they're going to be jumping on here. So this should be a fun debate. All right. And as always, I am doing a fundraiser for media equipment on the gospel truth. So if you are interested to helping the gospel truth raise funds for media equipment so we can have our own media equipment, we don't have to rely on a venue we're having debates at or do what we're doing the thing at, you know, doing our thing. Uh, just make sure if you want, support the ministry. The link is in the description of this video so you can support the fundraiser if you so choose to. All right. So that said, we have a fun-filled debate today, and this is going to be concerning Unitarianism. Does the Bible teach Unitarianism? Um, and so uh, God Logic, this is first time in a debate format being on the show. Uh, if you remember recently, with like, I think a couple weeks ago, he and him and JP and uh, Radar Apologetics joined me and we had a fun-filled discussion concerning apologetics, theology, and ministry. And so that was definitely a fun discussion. If you have yet to check that out, make sure you look in uh, on the archives of all the YouTube videos on this channel and you'll find that interview. And Taylor Stewart has not been on quite some time, but he has been on several times already in debate form. So I'm glad to have these guys with me. And so let me bring these guys in so they can further introduce themselves to you guys. How you doing, fellas? All good. All good. Awesome. Awesome. Good. How's it going? 
going good going good uh, Avery your audio cut in and out there hopefully your internet will stabilize a little bit there but your audio cut in and out slightly your video skipping just a tad bit as well um so we'll give let's uh see if you can log out log back in Avery uh see if that'll help it but Taylor, I'll give you the floor. So go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and let them know what you do. Uh, blogs, YouTube channel, whatever you do, man. Let them know so they can come check you out, all right? Okay, thank you very much, uh, Marlon. So my name is Taylor Stewart. Um, I am also called Stan on Scripture. Uh, I am a biblical Unitarian, Torah observant, Messianic, um, follower of the Messiah. Um, I do baptisms, um, evangelizing. I'm a speaker, debater, and also a um, the author of a PDF file called Refute the Trinity Course, which has 63 arguments, I believe, that Trinitarians have brought over the past four years. And I would just like to, well, um, uh, say this, I would like to thank um, Marlon for uh, hosting this debate, and I would like to just say I appreciate the fact that um, last year I was supposed to be in a debate. Um, unfortunately, I was going through some things and Marlon was there. Actually, a lot of Unitarians weren't there when I was going through stuff. So I want to just say that I appreciate Marlon for not only hosting a debate, but actually being there as um, someone that could chat to. So that's me. Thank you very much. All right. All right. Yeah, have to be there, man. You know, someone reach out for assistance, man. You got to be there for him, regardless if you disagree theologically or not. Uh, definitely uh, got to be there for him. So I appreciate the shout out. Taylor and hope all is well on your side. So Avery, um, you got it, man. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell them what you do, YouTube, whatever it is that you do, man. Tell them what you do so they can come check you out. All right. Yeah. So, so just testing the sound. Is everything okay with the sound? Are we still all right? Yeah, the sound is good, good, but it seems like the video skipping just a little bit. But your audio should be fine. It sounds like it's fine. Okay. All right, for sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah, my Wi-Fi maybe a little low quality. This week, I've been, but uh, uh, you know, so I run the YouTube channel God Logic Apologetics. Uh, a lot of, of um, street apologetics, street evangelism, Mormons, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, all kinds of things. Also, me and my friend Life, we have a YouTube channel, GL Media, where we tackle more social issues like LGBTQ and uh, abortion, things of this nature. Channel. So that's where you can find us. God Logic Apologetics is the main channel where you'll see a lot of theological discussions, um, discussions with you live on TikTok and stuff like that, streamed on YouTube. And so that's where you'll find us. We're from the Trinity and things of this nature. And so, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. All right. Thank you so much. It's still skipping in and out a little bit there. So I'm hoping that it was. Should I, I go off camera or something? Would it be better? Yeah, it'd just be a black screen. So Taylor would be talking to a black screen, but um, I'm, I'm not sure. Yet, so. Yeah, um, so, but we'll, we'll see, if we'll work with it and see if it's sort of stable out um, uh, as, it, as it goes. So we'll see, we'll see what we got. But nonetheless, uh, today's topic is, does the Bible teach Unitarianism? And uh, Taylor, you're taking the affirmative. Uh, Avery, you're taking the negative on that. And so we're gonna start that with 15 minute opening statements. That's gonna be follow up five minute rebuttals. Then we're gonna take a uh, 40 minute cross sex with both of you get 20 minutes each to ask questions. And then we're gonna have a five minute closing. And then we have a 20 minute Q&A from the audience. Sounds good? Yeah, that's sounds good. good. All right. Can I just ask one quick question? Do you know when yes, my time's over? Do I need to meet myself on this end, or 
No, I'll take that. care of all that. When you're off screen, you don't have to mute yourself. You're off screen, so it automatically mutes you. Um, also, remember the chime here. There's a chime, I think that's it. That chime will let you know that you have one minute left in your presentation, so make sure you start closing up your presentation at that mark, all right? So, uh, you guys got any more questions? All good. All right. All right, Taylor, you got it, man, for 15 minutes. Let me get your time set up. And also your time, if you need a reference, it will be up in your upper left-hand corner of the big screen, the main screen. So if you are in need of a sort of a heads up of what the time is, which you probably do, you'll see that time in that corner. So uh, your time is ready. So I'll start your clock when, you're, when you begin to speak. Okay. So my opponent um, would have to show the possibility of plurality persons, one God, I have to obviously show that Jehovah God is one self, one person, one individual. Now, using um, the terms, um, this person's called God, does not necessitate that it's the same God. For example, Samuel in 1 Samuel 28 verse 13 is called God raising up from the um, earth. Moses in Exodus 7 verse 1 is God to Pharaoh. The judges are called gods in Psalms 82 verse 6. So my opponent would have to show clearly that Jehovah is the God that is multiple persons. Otherwise, when we see things that are clearly like I am Jehovah, there is no other beside me, and so on and so forth, you would have to say either one, God is the author of confusion, confusing people to think that he is one person, but really he's multiple persons. Or you would have to say that um, he is literally one person and not others. So when we look at things like um, Genesis 126, when it says, let us make man in our image, it doesn't say who the us actually is. And I would happily answer these questions in relation to Genesis 126 um, in the question um, time if my opponent would like to bring this up. Essentially, I believe that it is a prophetic form of speech that God's going to create through um, Adam and in the prophetic, like even further future through the um, man, Jesus Christ, in the spiritual um, person. Now, I can show explicitly that Jehovah is one self. In Isaiah 64, verse 8, it says, Now, Jehovah, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are the work of your hands. And we see this also in relation to Genesis 2, verse 7, how God creates us from the, um, from the earth and breathes the breath of life into that body. If God cannot communicate that he is plural persons as a singular um, being God, then how can that God actually judge anyone to hell for not worshiping a triune God or even a quadrinity, a binitarian or multiple person God? Now, according to, um, according to the Bible, it says that um, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob glorified Yehoshua, Jesus, his servant, as seen in Acts 3, verse 13, which says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, who you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. Point one for my opponent to raise in his rebuttals, if you'd like to, is how many persons is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who glorified his son? Understanding that Yehoshua, his servant, Yehoshua never glorified himself, which we'll be looking into a verse later on. 
I would like to also point out and build a premise that Jehovah um, is being spoken of as oneself that is the true God and such by Yehoshua. And we see this in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18 and 19. I will raise up a prophet from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. I will command him what to speak. And anyone that does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name, I will hold um, I will require of them or I will hold them accountable. And we know that this is talking about the Messiah in Acts 3 verse 19 to 22 because it literally says that God speaks through the prophets and Moses said this and it was in relation to him. So what did Yehoshua himself say in relation to who Jehovah God is? We must listen and obey to the Messiah Yehoshua in what he actually says about God. In John 4 verse 23 to 24 but a time is coming and has now arrived when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to be his worshippers. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Take note that Yehoshua is saying the Father is the God that the true worshippers worship and that that God is spirit. In John 8, 54, Jesus answers, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me of who you say he is our God, talking to the Jews. Again, just like before, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob glorified his servant, Jesus Christ. John 17, verse 1 to 3, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. Yehoshua is quite clearly saying that the Father is the only true God. This statement is an appositive, and a positive is a descriptive sentence that or a phrase that is in relation to what is beforehand. It would make sense that if you take it out, the sentence would still make sense that they know you are the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. This appositive is descriptive of the one that is the you, the father, and is also according to monos or monon in Greek. It is meaning it is an adjective alone without a companion. So point B, it is tied with this noun to other verbs also, so that what is predicated may be declared to apply to some one person alone, according to C.F. Weiner's grammar on Bible hope. In John 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say, I am going to my father, your father, my God, your God. It is quite clear then that the God of Jesus is a Unitarian God, the Father, and the God of the disciples is also that God. So when we look so far, what we've seen is that the true worshippers worship the Father, not a multipersonal God. The Jews call their Father their God, not a multipersonal God. The only true God is the Father with the apostolic case and the law of identity and definition as stated on Bible hope. For his God and the disciples' God is the same, which is the Father, not multi personal God. Now, just in case my um, opponent would like to bring in his um, rebels on his time in relation to the titles of God being related to the Messiah, according to a Trinitarian scholar called G.B. Kiard, hopefully I pronounced that right, C A I R D, in his writings of the language and imagery of the Bible, 
he writes and states, quote, inspired by God, he would bring in the golden age of peace, Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 9, when every member of society would be held at his true value, Isaiah 32, verse 1 to 8. So completely is the ideal Davidic king identified with the purposes of God that he can be dignified with the titles of God himself, end quote. So a Trinitarian scholar is saying that the Davidic kings can have the titles of God themselves. And my next point, um, I would like my opponent to raise in his rebuttals. When we look in Deuteronomy 4, verse 12 to 13, which I know some of you guys thought I was going to bring this up, and I am. It says, Then Jehovah spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. For those that are sincere in their walking and love Jehovah God, how many persons speak a voice that is a he in the pronoun contextually being spoken of here? Me, I would say it's one, right? So then when we see in Deuteronomy 4, verse 35 to 36, the same chapter, same context, it says, To you it was shown that you might know that Jehovah is God, and there is no other beside him. Out of the heavens he let you hear his voice, and he May, uh, that he may discipline you on the earth and he let you see his great fire. You heard the sound of words um, out of the midst of the fire. So this is talking about a him as Jehovah, that there is no other besides, which means that negates other persons or things being the Jehovah God that was speaking. So then why is the same chapter clearly shown this? We see the same thing in um, Isaiah 45 verse 5. And me, Jehovah, I am Jehovah, and there is no other besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising to this um, and from the, the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am Jehovah, and there is no other. This explicitly negates any other persons when you have the first person pronoun, ani in Hebrew, or anoki, which is also related to the yod here, bav here, which, by the way, in itself is singular as well, in relation to the one person, which we know is talking about the um, father in uh, Isaiah 64, verse 8, which is a, in relation to verse 9 of Isaiah 48. Verse 9, where it is a potter, and it says, You, Jehovah, are our father, we are the clear, you are the potter. And he also says in verse 11 of Isaiah 45 that you ask me concerning my sons. Now, when we do the exegesis of Deuteronomy 2, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 6, verse 2 to 4, it says this that you may fear Jehovah your God and you, uh, your sons, your sons' sons by keeping his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all of the days of your life, that your days may be long. Then in verse 4, going on, it says, Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, Jehovah is our God, Jehovah is one. Shema Israel, Jehovah Elohim, Jehovah Echad. Echad is a cardinal number and it's only a compound unity when the context of the um, passage is seen. However, here it is explicitly relating to a hymn, and we see this in relation to Mark 12, verse 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered well, talking about Jesus, asking him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, 
The most important is, here, O Israel, Jehovah is our God, Jehovah is one. And you shall love Jehovah your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. The second is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other great commandments such as these. Then the scribe responds, you were truly stated that he is one. There is no other beside him. Notice the pronoun him and he is being used relating to the Shema, not they, them, plurality of persons. And to love, the, um, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and to love one's neighbor is much greater than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Verse 34, Jesus saw that this was wise or intelligent, depending on the translation. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. Then no one dared to ask him any more questions. So to um, finalize, when we see here that the scribe is asking um, what is the greatest commandment, and he says the Shema, and it's the greatest commandment, we see he is one and no other beside him. That statement in itself negates the possibility of other things or persons other than a he who is Jehovah. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. And also we see that in relation to Mark 12 verse 28 to 34, which we've just seen. We see in relation to Deuteronomy 4 verse 35 to 36 and Deuteronomy 4 verse 11 to 13. It's a he, it's a him, a voice, and there's no other beside him. So how is there any plural persons as Jehovah if God According to the Jewish scribe, is a he and no other beside him, and the true worshippers worship him as God. I'll end them there. All right. Thank you so much for that, Taylor. Appreciate that opening. And now, Avery, you are in the seat for your 15-minute opening. And let me get your time reset here. All right, Avery, you got it for 15 minutes, and I'll start your time when you begin to speak. Okay, so I'm in Hosea 12. I'm in Hosea 12 that talks about the uh, we're, we're we're talking about singular pronouns, right? Singular pronouns being used for people. We saw that Judah and Simeon, the tribes of Judah and Simeon, are referred to as he and his, uh, and I. Judah speaks the the tribe of Judah speaks as I in Judges chapter one. Here we have in Hosea, it says the Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways, singular pronoun. He will repay him, singular, according to his singular deeds, again. So you see how the tribe, the, the nation of Israel, really, right? Because we know who Jacob is, that's the nation of Israel, is being referred to in the singular, right? How God will deal with him, talking about the nation. So that kind of takes away this idea that singular pronouns uh, necessitate singular personhood. Um, that's just not the case at all. But it was brought up about um, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how many persons was he? And I think that this is a beautiful place to, to, to remain because in Hosea 12, it continues to talk about the God of Jacob, right? And it continues to go on and say, uh, in the womb, he took his mother by the heel, recounting Genesis, the Genesis story. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. So God is identified as the angel who's the one who, who wrestled with Jacob. And who does, uh, let's continue because it gets even better. Uh, he met God. Uh, I'm sorry, he wept and sought his favor. So he prayed to him and, and, and sought the favor of God, the angel of the Lord. Then he says, he met God at Bethel. 
and their spoke and their God spoke with us. Yahweh, the God of hosts, the Lord, Yahweh, is his memorial name, right? So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to the love and justice, and wait continually for your God. So here we see, if we're talking about who the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is, and how many persons is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we see that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is multi-personal, because we see that he's identified as the Father in Scripture, and then we also see here that he's identified as the angel of the Lord, right? And so this, this, is, this is beautiful because it's Yahweh that he saw at the top of this staircase. And then it's the angel of the Lord that comes to him in Genesis 31 and says that I am the God whom you swore to, who you made that, that covenant with, who you made that vow to. So the angel of the Lord claims to be that God. And not only that, but we see the same claim of the angel of the Lord claiming to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Exodus 3 when he visits Moses in the beginning of the, in the Torah in Exodus, right? In Exodus 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the fire, in the midst of the bush. Then it says, God called to him from the angel of the bush, and he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Remove your sandals from for where you are standing is holy ground. So the angel of the Lord is claiming to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who made the covenant with Abraham in the beginning and is now here to redeem Israel from the land of bondage. And he tells them, this is an important detail, to remove the sandals from beneath your feet for where you stand is holy ground. Where do we see this? The same, uh, the same picture. We see the same picture when Joshua deals with the angel of the Lord. When the commander of the angel of, of the Lord's host, the commander of heaven's armies, comes and visits uh, Joshua, we see here that the angel of the Lord says the same thing, the same type of visitation in chapter five, verse fourteen. He visits the angel, and what does he do? Let's go there really quick. This is Joshua chapter five. This is good Bible, y'all. Verse 14, right? When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Verse 14, and he said, no, but I am the commander, the Tsar or prince of the army of Yahweh. Now I have come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander, or Sar, Sar, prince of the Lord's army, said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. So we see the angel of the Lord claims to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob claims to be the very presence of holiness that where you stand, it's holy, so you have to remove your feet. We see it with Moses, we see it with Joshua, and we also see it later on uh, when he appears again uh, with the sword in his hand, a, uh, a sword drawn, right? We see the sword drawn in his hand. And so we see this continuous picture of the angel of Yahweh in Numbers, 20, in Numbers chapter 22. 
Numbers chapter 22, we see the same person so that there's no confusion. Chapters 2, verses 31 to uh, 32. So that there's no confusion. It says, the Lord, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his, what? Drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face to worship. We see this continuous thing. Moses worshiped the angel of the Lord. Uh, Jacob worshiped and prayed to the angel of the Lord. We see <clears throat> that Joshua fell on his face to worship the angel of the Lord. And notice that the angel of the Lord doesn't go and say, no, 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 don't do that. For I am just a servant, a slave, just like you and your brothers. As we see an angel do in Revelation uh, uh, 22, where John tries to bow down to that angel. Now, this is what's interesting to me about this law of agency that um, our friend Taylor tried to present to us, that the agents of Yahweh can somehow take on his titles and uh, take, claim these, these, these attributes, right? Apply them to themselves. That's not even true. Because if that was the case, then this angel of the Lord, who is, uh, I'm sorry, this, uh, uh, this angel in, in Revelation, who is an agent of Jesus and an agent of the Father, when John bows down to him and to worship him, he shouldn't stop him. He should, he should accept it and say, yes, I am God the Father. I am Jesus Christ. You can go ahead and bow down, but this is in credit to the Father. This is in credit to Jesus. But no, he says, do not do that. You cannot do that to me because I am just a slave. I'm just a servant along with you and your brothers. I'm on the same level as you guys. Worship God alone. We do not see the same response here with the angel of the Lord who demands the worship, who commands that you take off your shoes for where you stand is holy, right? So the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is multi-personal. We see that he's the father. We see that he's the angel of the Lord. And we also see that he is the spirit of Yahweh. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 2 and 3, David says, he says, the spirit of Yahweh spoke. The God of Israel spoke by me. So David recognizes the spirit of Yahweh to be Yahweh himself, who speaks by him, calls him the rock of Israel, 2 Samuel chapter 2, uh, 23 verses 2 to 3. So we see that the God of Israel is the spirit of Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the angel of Yahweh. And we see that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is also identified as the father. And we're not even in the New Testament. This is clear-cut scripture line by line this good bible that the god of the bible is multi-personal uh where, where if you're trying to say that he refers to himself in singular pronouns and therefore he has to be a singular person that's not the case because now you have to say okay when he refers to judah in the singular that judah is just one man after judah dies long generations after judah dies generations after simeon has died now they're they're one person when when god addresses them um but also, if that is also your argument, and it's, it's interesting that you also, you, uh, you know, you brought up how, uh, 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 you know, he's the, 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 our father who created us, right? And you talked about how he breathed into us. Like, this is interesting. That, like, it's ironic that you're mentioning how he created man when it's in the story of how he created man that he refers to himself with plural pronouns, where he says, let us make man, man in our image in our likeness. And there is no plural of majesty when it comes to certain pronouns and verbs. 
That's according to the Encyclopedia of, of Hebrew Linguistics. You, there is no plural of majesty when it comes to verbs and certain pronouns in the Hebrew. So when, and when God is saying, let us make, the make is in the plural. Let us make man in our image, in the plural. After our likeness, male and female, he created them. So we see the plural being switched to the singular and singular switched to the plural. Plural, it's interchangeable. Why? Because there's one God who within his divine infinite essence consists of three distinct, co-equal, co-eternal, unified persons who love each one another, who glorify one another. John chapter 17, verse one. Now, Father, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. This is the issue here with Unitarians. With Unitarians, if they stick with this, this idea that, you know, God uses singular pronouns for himself, then you have a problem. Because Isaiah 40, chapter 44, verse 24, uh, 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 Yahweh says this. He says, you know, there's no God besides me and things of this nature. He says, who created the heavens and established the heavens and the earth all alone. Who created the earth and the heavens by myself. He says that he did it alone, absolutely by himself. As a Unitarian, you have a contradiction because according to the scripture, it's the word of the Lord that was the companion of the Father and the Spirit that created all things. John chapter one, verse one to three, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and there wasn't anything that was everything that's been made was made through him. So you have a contradiction as a Unitarian. Either Yahweh created all things by himself or he had help. Which one is it? You have a contradiction. All right, that's time, Avery, right there, that's time. All right, Taylor, you're back in the sea for your five minute rebuttal. And so I will, let me get your time set up here. All right, there you are. All right, okay. Taylor, you're good to go, and I'll start your time when you begin to speak. Okay, so um, he stated in relation to singular pronouns, um, this is simply responding to, like, quickly, the context literally says in relation to Judah, Israel, the bride, for example, yes. The he or she can be used in relation to multiple persons when the context says so. There is no context in um, Genesis 1 all the way up to um, Deuteronomy 13 that says Jehovah is multiple persons as one God. And it says false prophets should be stoned if they are to um, lead you after gods you do not know. So they would have to have known the Trinity at that point. In relation to the points in Hosea that um, was risen, this is simply answered with agency. For example, when um, Yehovah is um, his name, which he brought up, well, the ark is called Yehovah as well. It doesn't make him be, uh, the ark being Yehovah God um, in 2 Samuel 6 verse 2. And the angel speaking on behalf of Yehovah, so does uh, Moses in Deuteronomy 29, where he speaks as the first person singular, I have led you in the wilderness, and he is the speaker, and you have not ate uh, um, um, bread, you have not drunk wine or strong drink, in order that you might know I am Jehovah your God. Does that mean that Moses is Jehovah God because he's speaking in the first person as Jehovah because he's the one that's speaking? No. 
So when we see with agency, for example, Matthew um, 8, verse 5 to 13, we see a centurion actually speaking to Yeshua. But in Luke, uh, it's in uh, Luke 7, verse 1 to 10, it says that two uh, the elders went over first of the Jews, then two or uh, some of his friends go and speak to him. The centurion didn't actually speak to Yahushua. So did the centurion literally speak to Jesus or was this through his angels, uh, agents, his angels, Melech? Um, so you would have to say that the centurion is the people that spoke to him because Matthew says so. Um, when you look at according to the Jewish law of agency, a shalia, the agent in practice is the shalia for a person is as good as being himself. Accordingly, Shalia performs legal acts of significance whether, um, for the benefit of the sender. One who in measure takes the place of the father interest in himself and the child's welfare is a Shalia as well. We see also in relation to worship, um, 1 Kings 1 verse 31, Bathsheba bowed face down to David. He must be Jehovah God. But then also we see the Israelites bound down to both um, Jehovah and to the king in First Chronicles 29, verse 20. Uno or Uno, hopefully I pronounced it right, is used in relation to human beings multiple times throughout the Bible. And not only that, but also the trio is being used in relation to Deuteronomy 28, verse 48, in relation to people that when Israel is in slavery, they will serve their masters. So therefore, are they God? Because literal, many Trinitarians would say that literal means that you are God. Only it's ever been used in relation to God. In relation to Genesis 1.26, I myself actually um, stated this at the start, but it doesn't say where the us is. I've already given my opinion on that, so I won't be tapping on this too long. But if I say, let us go to the shop, who am I speaking to? You don't know who I'm speaking to. That is um, an us. There is an us in that statement, but it doesn't say who the us is. Now, in relation to John 1, verse 1, um, and Colossians 1, 15, I believe that he um, used, First John 1, you're assuming that the word is Jesus, um, that pre-exists and is God, and that we know in, um, I think it's verse 3, the light that's in the word is talking about the plan of God. Um, do, 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 do. In relation to Colossians 1, verse 15, it's talking about the new creation through him and the eponidiaclosis is used, which is called Greek encircling, which is specifically the things, and these things are relating to Daniel 7, verse 25 to 26, where, sorry, 27, where Yehoshua takes the authority from the beast and gives it to the saints. We see whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities in relation to that. Greek encircling is not, it's not talking about Genesis in relation to first, uh, sorry, Colossians 1, 15 to um, 18. I have a few more, but I couldn't get into it. So there we go. All right. Thank you, Taylor, for that rebuttal. All right, Avery, you're back in the seat again for your five-minute rebuttal. And I will start your time as soon as you begin to speak. Thanks. So, yeah, I, it's, it's pretty convenient that, uh, you know, it's now it's the context that determines whether or not the uh, the pronouns are when there's used singular for a group, or well, it, it, if it's being used for a group, or if uh, it's being used for a singular person, which I agree, which is why you have to establish when it's referring to Yahweh in the singular, 
that it means that he's an absolute singular person. That does not demonstrate that. Simply because he's referred to as singular pronouns means nothing. He's also referred to in plural pronouns. So which one is it? You know what I mean? The, what we have is we have multiple examples of Yahweh demonstrating that he is multipersonal. You have uh, 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 you know, the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where it's, it's the Yahweh on earth who visits Abraham, eats with him, gets his feet washed, right? Rests with him, uh, talks with him and Sarah, uh, and he remains to talk with Abraham and proceeds to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, interacting with Yahweh who is in heaven, who's raining down sulfur and fire. Yahweh rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire, from Yahweh out of heaven. You have two Yahwehs there, two persons who are identified as Yahweh. Clearly uh, in another example of him being multi-personal. So when we see where God is speaking of himself in the singular pronoun, speaking of his one divine nature, this his one, you know, is this one Godhead who is responsible for creating all things, who is the sole Lord of the heavens and the universe, who is the uncaused cause, who is the source of all things. You see that he is the one God, the one being, but within this one being, there is a plurality within his unity, which is why we see the word who's with him from the beginning, with the father from the beginning of time, creates all things. It is talking about Colossians 1 uh, verses 15 to 18 because it talks about how he created all things invisible, invisible, heaven or on earth, uh, uh, thrones or principalities, rulers, all things, all things, not some, not later in the future, all things were created through him and for him and he's before all things, right? Uh, Hebrews 1 also picks this up. Hebrews 1 verses 8 to 12, where uh, you have the father speaking of the son, refers to him as Yahweh of Psalm 102, who created and established the heavens and the earth that will wear out, that gets old, that turns out like a garment. Uh, but he remains the same and his years are forever. So he is the one who created the creation that is that is growing old, that is that has an end. He's the one who created it according to the Father and according to Paul and according to John, right? So you have all of these scriptures that point to Jesus being the worksman, the, 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 uh, the fellow creator along with the Father and the Spirit. Uh, in Psalm it says that the Spirit, you send, you send your Spirit and they are created, right? The Spirit gives life. The Spirit is eternal. In Hebrews. So we see how these distinct persons are given the qualities, not just qualities, but the attributes and the titles the uh, that only belong to God and God alone. Only to God and God alone. The worship, the adoration that belongs to God and God alone. You do not see any creature getting this. This is why uh, the angels, this is why the apostles who are agents, again, who are agents of God, who are agents of Jesus, who say, no, I'm not Jesus. We are just his messengers. No, I am not God. I am just a messenger, just like you. Do not worship me. Do not do that. Follow God alone. Okay? So if this is the case, if according to this law of agency, that these messengers and these agents can claim to be the person who they're representing, then the apostles could have gone around claiming to be the divine son of God who died for their sins. Peter could have went around and saying, 
I have come into the world from heaven, from my father, and I died and I rose for you. Now believe in me. He's the agent sent by Jesus. According to John chapter 20, it says that he sent them. I send you, Jesus says, I send you just as I was sent. So they can claim to be Jesus, according to the law of agency, if we go with that logic. It just, just follow. So I, I rest my case there. All right. Thank you so much, guys. All right. Exciting opening and exciting rebuttals. And so now we are going to jump into the cross X, which is everyone's favorite part of every debate. Cross X, man. So we're going to do a, a total of 40 minutes once again, 20 minutes each to ask questions. Um, and so with the, with the cross X, let's make sure if you can answer a question with simple yes or no. Do that. Uh, you do not want to bog your opponent's time along with the questions. Also, get to your question as quick as you can. I understand there's sort of a lead-in to the question, but let's get to the question so we can have a fruitful, lively cross-examination. All right. That said, Taylor, you're up first for your 20-minute cross-ex of Avery, and I will start your time when you ask your first question. Okay, so firstly, I just want to um, base this question in relation to the premise. I watched a couple of your live streams um, on TikTok where you're saying the Muslims to be consistent and stick to the criteria that was discussed. So I'm just wondering if you would agree with the um, dictionary um, definition of criteria, which means it's a principle or standard in which something is judged or decided by. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry okay. about that. Man. So, no worries. Um, would you agree then, since God is not the author of confusion and he, it is impossible for him to lie, that for us human beings, the way we can look at things would be according to the law of logic, which is traditionally the three fundamental laws of logic, the law of contradiction, the law of excluded middle, and also the law of um, principle of identity? Uh, to an extent, uh, I don't believe that God uh, solely is limited by our logic. If something, according to us, becomes confusion, confusing uh, because of our own limited understanding as man, I don't believe that we will understand God fully. And so, therefore, it's not upon God that he is a God of confusion if we don't understand certain aspects of his nature. Okay, so just so we're on the same um, playing field here with them. Um what logic is um i'm going to give two statements and then we'll get into my proper like proper um questions if i give you statement a i exist and statement b i do not exist can both contradictory statements be true at the same time no okay so then when we have these two in relation to the bible two statements of one where jesus is the person who knows all things according to Trinitarians because he's God. And statement B, Jesus is one person who does not know all things according to Matthew 24, verse 36, Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 9, and Luke 2, verse 52. Can both contradictory statements be true at the same time? I disagree uh, that those teach that Jesus doesn't know all things. So I think that that is based on a false pre uh, presumption that those verses are teaching that Jesus doesn't know the hour, things of his nature, though that's not the case. Uh, that's talking about uh, those are statements of declaration, not about um, informational knowledge. We see the same thing with Paul, where he says, I decided to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified when I came to you. Um, and we see various examples where Jesus does know all things and his disciples says that he knows all things. 
Okay, so some of the verses that I brought up were he grows in knowledge and also he learns obedience from the things that he suffers. Sorry, yeah, it says that he grows in wisdom, not knowledge. He grew in yeah, wisdom. The word can trans yeah, the word can translate as um, knowledge as well. But even if we grow, he learns obedience. How do you learn if you know all things? So, yeah, so you, you're talking about where statements. Yeah, you're talking about where Jesus uh, takes on the human nature, and, and as a human, he's growing up. He's growing mm -hmm. up. He's he's becoming obedient to God and the Word, to his parents, and things of this nature. Growing in wisdom. Um, it's not that he is uh, acquiring some new knowledge. Uh, that's not what the verse says. But growing in wisdom, learning obedience, is is showing his character in his growth in his human nature. As he's growing in wisdom as a young man and growing as a child to a young man in obedience and uh and applying that to his lifestyle okay so just um to restate that last um, question i brought up can both statements jesus the person knows all things but then statement b jesus the other person doesn't know all things because he learns obedience can both contradictory statements be true at the same time again that's a false presumption with a false interpretation thinking that that verse is saying that there's something Jesus doesn't know. That's not the meaning of that verse where I just gave my answer on what that verse means. So I reject this presumption that this verse is saying Jesus doesn't know all things. And therefore that's a contradiction with Jesus knows all things. Okay. What's the definition of um, learning? Uh, you can have, there's many ways in which it's applied in the context, as you said earlier, you know, if we're sticking to criteria and we're being consistent, that uh, words applied in a context will show you how it's being used and the meaning that it's being used in, right? So we're talking about Jesus who takes on human nature and is growing up, growing up, learning obedience, meaning he's applying obedience to his life, becoming obedient and growing in wisdom, applying that obedience and the wisdom to his life. That's what that means. It's not him getting any type of new knowledge or or anything like that. Okay, so um, according to the law of logic, if the Father is identified as God in Isaiah 64, verse 8, you, Jehovah, are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, can Jesus be, or any other person be, the same God that he, the Father, is identified as? Yes, because uh, the, the God um, is multi-personal. And so because God is not just the Father, he's also the Son and the Holy Spirit, um, the, all three persons possess that divine essence. So that's why all three persons can be identified as God, even though they as persons are not identical. Okay, so according to um, the law of logic, if the Father is um, God, it would mean it's not possible for anyone else to be the same God, because this um, this is because the law of identity states that if something is identical to itself, it cannot be identical to some thing else. Um, so how do you con um, correct that problem that is in relation to the law of logic? Well, I'm not seeing how you're applying that to the Trinity because it sounds like uh, it sounds like it's kind of like a Leibniz law. If I can just ask a clarifying question, are you saying that something has to be identical in every way in order for something to be identical? It cannot be identical to something else? What I'm saying is that uh, if the any other person is identified as the same God as the Father, he must be also the Father as well. Otherwise, it's um, breaking the law of identity. 
that that doesn't break the law of identity because what you're what you're what you're giving me is Leibniz's law. Leibniz's law is that you have to be identical in every way in order to be identical, considered identical, and then thus, therefore, we, we would be having this contradiction or something like that. I don't hold to Leibniz's law of identity. Okay, um, are there? Are there any verses where Jehovah ever speaks in the plural, for example, we are Jehovah your God? No, not that I can think of. Okay. Um, in Joel 2, verse 27, it says, Jehovah is God and there is none other beside him. How many um, persons is Jehovah who is, um, and who is it? Oh, there's three persons of Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Joel 2, verse 27. In what? In Joel 2, verse 27. It's all three in Joel? Joel's. In, yeah, in Joel, Joel 2, verse 27. Yeah. Can you read it out for me or if you want to pause your time? Um, um, one second. It's Joel 2, verse 27. It says, do, 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 do. and um, you shall know that I am um, I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am Jehovah your God, and there is none else, and my people shall never be put to shame again. Um, it continues yeah. to say that this one pours out his um, spirit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Yahweh is multi-personal, um, and we see here in verse twenty-eight. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, right? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy of this nature, and I will pour my spirit in those days. Um, uh, who, who was it that poured out the spirit? Well, according to um, Acts, um, Jesus says you've got to wait for the um, spirit to be poured out of the promise. And that promise, which is in relation to Joel 2 verse 27, is in Acts 2 verse 1, and it is explicitly the Father. So it says so the Father poured can, out the Spirit? Yeah. According to the promise from the Father, it is talking about um, the Holy Spirit being poured out from him. So therefore, this one person, which is explicitly the Father, is Jehovah and no other beside him. That negates the Trinity. How do you correct that? Okay. So no, it doesn't. Because you have in John chapter 20, where Jesus blows unto the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So you have Jesus blowing on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And then you have John the Baptist who says, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So if you're saying that it's uh, this is something that only God does, that Yahweh does, because Yahweh, I agree, says that he's the one who pours out the Holy Spirit. Yet we see that it's the Father and the Son who are responsible for sending and pouring out the Holy Spirit, where Jesus says, that I will send in my, uh, the, the Father will send in my name, and I will send him from the Father. We see that both the Son and the Spirit, or, and the Father, uh, are engaged in sending or pouring out the Holy Spirit. Okay. In Acts 2, verse 33, in relation to Joel, it's explicitly talking about one person, the Father. Um, and we're talking just specifically to that um, passage in relation to Joel. How can there be any other God but the Father when it's explicitly talking about the Father that does this? Acts 2, verse 20, uh, 33. Acts 2, verse uh, 33, can you read it? Yeah. What does that sound? Acts 2, verse 33. 
Um, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received um, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the promise was from the Father. Right. So so now this is this isn't this wouldn't be a problem for me as a Trinitarian, because as I expressed to you, it's both the Father and the and the Son who pour out and send the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says this. Jesus says this. Uh, even uh, uh, Paul and, and the apostles say this when they call the same spirit of the Father, the spirit of God, they call it this call him the spirit of Christ. So this is where you have an issue is as a Unitarian, you have a contradiction when one says that the father is the one who pours out the spirit, where then you have Jesus himself who says that he's the one who sends the spirit, who baptizes with the spirit, who blows on his apostles, the Holy Spirit. You have the contradiction. I don't. As a Trinitarian, it flows and makes perfect sense. So does Jesus not say that he sends it from the Father? Yes. And blown, by the way, isn't um, pouring out, but he sends it from the Father. So it's coming out from the Father. And who sends it? Who pours it out on them? Yeah, he goes back to the Father at the right hand, and then he sends it from the Father. That's coming right. so, out from the Father. So if it's So who's the one? that's giving the gift of the Holy Spirit, pouring out the Holy Spirit on the believers. Who is that? The, fa the Father. Jesus no, goes back to say that he can do that now. He's saying, now I'm at your right hand, send it. So the Father's the one that pours out it. It's sent from well, the Father. Okay. So then, then, then you have a problem when Jesus explicitly says, the Spirit of truth whom I will send, mm -hmm. who I will send from the Father. Yeah. John the Baptist who said, John the Baptist who says that Jesus will baptize um, with the Holy Spirit, you know? So you have these explicit statements where the Spirit of the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. I, I, you, yeah. This isn't a problem for me. Um, it's, this, it's also the, um, the Spirit of Elijah um, where he says, I can't give you double portion of my Spirit, but when you see me go up, then you will have it. And it's the same spirit of Elijah that John has as well. Would you not agree? Uh, sure. But we're, we're not talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the spirit of Elijah and the Holy Spirit is not the same thing. Well, we'll just disagree, but we'll move on to Acts. Uh, sorry, my other question. According to John 1, 18, it says, No one has seen God, the only begotten um, son who was in the uh, God, depending on the translation, made him known. Just wondering if Jesus is the same um, God that is not being seen. Yeah, no, because you just you just read it. It says the only the only unique God who is in his mm -hmm. who is at his side or in his bosom, he has made him known. So Jesus the Son, God the Son, in that verse explicitly, is called God, mm -hmm. identified as God, who reveals God the Father. Right. So he's but you said no, he's not the unseen God though, in that passage. You know, the, un the unseen one, the one, and speaking of unseen, meaning no one has perceived him or understood him, uh, yeah. that, that talking about the Father specifically, where okay. Jesus is the um, one who Okay, and the Father is not the begotten God, is he? No. So how many gods do you have there? You have one God, you have one God who... Within the one God, you have the Father who is identified as God, the one who's uh, the unseen or unperceived one. You have the God, the Son, who's begotten of the Father, and you have God, the Holy Spirit, who is poured out by the Son and the and the Father. 
So you've got a god which has two gods inside of it. No, you don't have a god that has two gods inside of it. You have one god that has multiple persons, that it consists of multiple persons. This is why, and these multiple persons have different roles, different uh, operations that they that they operate by. Right, because you said there was a god, and in that god you have the unseen god and a begotten god in them, not the same god. The father isn't this god. No, no I said they're not the same person. They're not the same person. Yeah, it doesn't see a person, it just sees God. It's talking about well, God as a person then. Well, you, you believe that you don't believe that God is personal? You're a Unitarian. You believe God is no, one I'm person. I'm saying right? that um, God is one person. That's why I can say this is one God. El, uh, Moses is one God. This is one God. There's multiple gods in English. Or Elohim would be um, used in the context of multiple things. Like Dagon is a God. If you have multiple gods, then there's polytheism. But I want to go on to. Um, according to um, James 1, it says it. What's that? Um, I just want to respond. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no. So, uh, identifying three persons within the Godhead is not splitting up into three gods. When you identify each person as God and specifically by their perspective, their respective roles that, in which they operate and function. So, saying that the Father is the. is is being identified as the one who is unseen, unperceived. The son is the one who's identified as being begotten of the father. The spirit is poured out by the father, sent by the son and things of this nature, poured out by the son. Uh, that's not me saying that there's three different gods there. I'm just identifying the three persons and their roles and their function within with, with one another in relation it to says, one another. It says one is unseen, unperceived God, and one is a begotten God. They're not the same God. So that would be polytheism. No, they're no, they're not the same person. Just as you see, you see here, where you have literally, where um, Jesus is called the begotten God. If, as a Unitarian, you would have two gods, not me, because you believe that God is only one singular person. Well, you have the unseen God and the and the begotten God. You don't believe that they share the same essence. So therefore, you are the one that would have polytheism. Where the word is called God above uh, in, in verse one, you would have polytheism or a God, depending okay. on how you, you go with the Jehovah's Witness translation. So, according to James 1 8, it says that a double minded man is unstable in all of his ways, but you are claiming that Jesus both knows and does not know at the same time. How is that not um, double mindedness? That's not what I'm saying at all. I never said that Jesus knows and does not know at the same time. So, please represent me correctly. Okay, sorry. So, you're saying that Jesus, okay, actually, let me reword that. So when Jesus says, not my will, but your will, how many wills is that if it's not his will? That's, that's two wills. So you have the, the human will of Jesus um, that he is submitting and bringing under submission to the divine will. So, so then Jesus says, not my will. Is the divine will his will as well? Yes. So within Jesus, remember, you have he's multi-personal and will wills are based on your nature since he has two you natures. Might wanna, you might want to correct that because you've just said within Jesus is multi-personal. You might want to correct that. If, if I said that, I misspoke. No, um, no, within Jesus, you have two natures. You have multiple, multiple natures, two natures is what I meant to say. Um, no, so you have so, the divine nature, the human nature. And so, but he's, but he's depending. But he, sorry, so he's still one person who has two different wills, yes? Yes. 
Yes, two distinct wills because two distinct natures. Okay. And a will is, um, according to their definition, a thought, a, um, a wish, a desire. So Jesus has two thought patterns. One is um, not his will, but it is his will, and the other will is not. So he's a double-minded man. I never, according I never, to I never, I never, said, I never said that. You, so again, you said you that have there's two wills in the person. Yeah. So, but what you said was a mischaracter was a, a, a mischaracterization of what I said. So I never said that Jesus is double-minded or things of this nature. You have within Jesus the hypostatic union where you, the divine nature and the human nature is united in one person. Because he has two natures, there are two wills there now. And it's the human will, weak will, right? Where the, 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 the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak type of thing. The flesh is weak, the flesh is uh, you know suffering, things of this nature. He submits that will to the divine will. You know, this is so, why he literally so, in that prayer, he let your will be done. Okay, he so he's got, within the person, he has two natures, and both natures have a will, which is two minds, wishes, wants, and that I, one I, person I, has two minds. Not necessarily. If you have the hypostatic union that has, like I said, the wills are based on the, the, the nature that you have, human nature and divine nature, bro. All right. Thank you so much for that, Taylor. All right, Avery, you're now up for your 20 minute cross examination of Taylor. Thank you. Um, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24, Yahweh says that he created all things alone and he did everything by himself. Is that true? Yes. Did Jesus help him create the heavens and the earth? Which creation are you talking about? the creation of the heavens and the earth um i would assume that you're talking about genesis no no he did not create the genesis creation no jesus didn't create the genesis creation okay so when he says when it says that jesus created all things and anything that has ever come into being has come into being through him um how do you reconcile that so are you talking about John 1 as well as Colossians 1, 15? John, John, John 1 verses 1 and 3. Right. John 1 isn't saying that um, he is the word. The word is the plan of God. It is the logos, the logic of God, which has the light in it. So it is having Jesus in it, meaning in the plan, and that plan becomes flesh. So it's not talking about Jesus in John 1 verse 1. So in verse 14, when it says, and the word became flesh and we beheld his glory as the only son, referring to him who is with God and referring to him in verse 18 as the one who was in the, uh, in the bosom of God, the father, who is the one who makes him known. You're saying that mm -hmm. that's not Jesus. I'm saying that because you're going into after the word becomes flesh, it is God's foreknowledge of Jesus that became real we see this in first peter 1 20 which is in pro ignos menu heavy having been foreknown before the world began he was manifested so god knew of him in his plan but then manifested him in this time which is why the word the promise becomes flesh when when paul says that it's uh one god the father from whom are all things what does that mean what what all things is it talking about that would be everything in relation to um creation from Genesis, I believe, 
it could be for, um, in relation to totality, but I believe it's in relation okay. to Genesis. Okay. And in that same breath, he says, and one Lord through whom are all things. So yeah, he, could, he says it. the same thing about the all things. From is from God the Father, and it's through mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. So if you're being consistent, you have to apply your Genesis relation to all things from the Father, also to Jesus as well. Now, I'm not sure if that um, passage uses dia, which means on behalf of or on because of or on account of. Um, if it's not dia, then I would assume that it's talking about the new creation. No, it says, so again, you said that from all things, God the Father, in that same breath, in the same breath that Paul mm -hmm. is speaking, it says, and through all things, referring to the same thing that he just mentioned about the Father. Now it's through all things is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can't say that all things that's from the Father is all of a sudden, is, is speaking of the Genesis creation, but all of a sudden changes, is not speaking of the Genesis creation in the very next, like, <laughs> the, the, in the same breath that he speaks about the sun. Yeah, the sun. yeah I was thinking of a different verse, but um, that um, through, that through, I believe, is dear, um, which is on account. Yeah, it is. It's dear, which means on account of um, or because of. So God, or because of Jesus, created all things. Yeah. So it's, it's through him. So, so then Jesus, all things, even including the Genesis creation, is created through Jesus, right? By the, from the Father through Jesus, correct? Well, according to the definition of the word dear, it is through, on account of, or because of. Two of these um, words literally used on because of God created from him all creations done because of Jesus. No, the word is through. The word literally means through. I'm, I'm literally looking at the definition. It means through, so, on so, account of, or because of. Right. So it's through. And so when he says, from the Father, all things, and you said is the Genesis creation. And he says, same thing about the Son, through the Son are all things including the Genesis creation, you have to be consistent there. Yeah, and I'm being consistent to the word usage, just because some translations are saying through, doesn't mean that all would, considering the word means because of or on account of. Got it. Will, will the new creation wear out? The new creation, I don't believe the Bible says that the new creation will wear out, so I don't think so. So who created the creation, the heavens and the earth, that will wear out? Um, well, God, and he had that already planned from the beginning. Okay. So when, um, when in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that the Father, speaking of the Son, says, And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands, talking about the Son. says, They will wear out like a garment, but you will remain the same. They will change and wear out, but you remain and your years will never end. So as you just established that the new creation does not wear out, and that's the creation that Jesus creates. Um, well, the father says that the son has created the heavens and the earth, the creation that does wear out. So how do you reconcile that? No. Hebrews 1 verse, I believe it was 10 to 12. It's got nothing to do with it. Jesus. It carries on the fact that in verse 3, it's God speaking through the prophets about these things. He talks about the angels. He talks about Jesus, which I have no problem with. Actually, um, Hebrews 1, 8, talking about Jesus as a God who has a God. 
But then in verse 10, it just says, and, and it's carrying on the thought, and it's talking about the father, because we see the psalm it comes from is literally the son saying, take me out, don't take me out of the midst of my tears. So it's got nothing to do with Jesus in that verse. In verse 8, in verse eight who's speaking? The father is speaking of the son in verse 8. Okay, so speaking of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, or however you translate that, is forever and ever. Um, the scepter of your right, uprightness and the scepter of your kingdom, going on and so forth. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil and gladness. And so he's continuing what the Father says about the Son. Continuing that thought about what the Father says about the Son. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands they will wear out like a garment, but you will remain. They will be changed, but your years will have, will never end. Continuing to talk about the son, there's no switch of it talking about the father. Taylor. A, a conjunction can carry on not just a um, sentence beforehand, but can also be carrying on the thought pattern. God is speaking through the prophets about these events. And the last one is in relation to him being the one that's doing this. Okay, so I like that. It's carrying on the thought process. According to, uh, according to all of Hebrews chapter 1, what is the thought process? God speaks through who's, who's the pro prophet. God. So God, it's about God doing what in Hebrews 1? Well, the main, the main character in that um, passage is God speaks through the um, prophets, um, then he speaks about through who? the Son, then he speaks about, about the angels, then... What's that? About who? About he, spoke, who? he speaks about multiple damn persons through that passage, the angels, and um, also in relation yeah, to who, who, who the who, What is the focus? Because the focus isn't the angels. Let's, like, let's be real. The focus isn't the angels. The focus is not prophets. What? Who is the focus of God the Father in Hebrews 1? Between what verses? In ver One you're talking about the... Yeah, so there's parts in relation to angels. Which of the angels did he say this? And then it talks about the sun. Well, but why? But why? But why does it say to which of the angels does he say, "Today I've begotten you. Uh, you are my son. Today I've begotten you." Why? Yes. Why is it saying? So that's in relation to sun. Exactly. So the whole right. thing is about the glorification and the preeminence of the sun. Correct. Yeah. Okay. But it's so not continuing. Whatever you say. So if we're going to go with your criteria, with your standard mm -hmm. thinking, that the, it's carrying on the thought, the entire thought of Hebrews 1 is the preeminence of the Son. And it's the yeah. preeminence of the Son by the Father. All right? Yeah. Compared to all of creation, angels, humans, the Son is preeminent. The Son is exalted. Mm -hmm. Right? So now, mm -hmm. when you have this continued thought, where it's the Father speaking of the Son continuously, not about himself, but about the son showing how he's exalted above all of creation, <clears throat> then you do not have a sudden change in verse 10 all of a sudden where now the father starts speaking about himself. But the father continues in verse 10 and speaking of the son, still speaking of the son, continuing the thought, exalting the son, showing how he's preeminent by showing how he is the creator of all things. Just like we saw in verse three of the of the chapter. No. Right? No. You've got God speaking through the prophets, and these things are spoken through the prophets. Well, predominantly, yes, it's talking about the um, son. Beforehand it's talking about angels. And then this one is in relation to God. 
because he's speaking about this and the one that's speaking to that god is um, jesus prophetically in the psalms speaking do not take me in the midst of my dear otherwise then jesus so, is speaking to himself what what song what psalm is being quoted in 10 to 12. i think it's 100 and something i can't remember one, one of psalms 102. psalms 102 and in psalms 102 who's the prophet speaking to The prophet, the, the psalmist would be speaking to God. Correct. So when the psalmist is speaking to God, and yet God is using, yet we see God in Hebrews 1, using the words of the psalmist and applying those words to the son. You're not right. being consistent, Taylor. You're not being consistent when you say that the and or the conjunctions is continuing the thought that's being previously established when you also acknowledge that the thought previously established is the preeminence of the son by the father so continuing that thought the father still talking is continuing to talk about the son about how he's the not creator of all son. things not according mm -hmm. to the son it's literally the son speaking to the um father um prophetically god's revealing this to his prophets because we see you are taking me in the midst of my dear so if it's the father speaking to the son, then the father saying, you're taking me in the midst of my dear. That makes no sense. No, that's not, that's, that's not Psalm 102. That's not Psalm 102 that's being quoted. Psalm that 102 is, that's uh, being quoted. Those words says, are being referred to. It says, oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my dears. Um, you whose years endure throughout the generations of of old you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands if that was the father speaking of um jesus as jehovah then he would be saying you're taking me in the midst of my dears it makes no sense no because the because does hebrews apply the words you have taken me from the days of my death or uh or does he apply you lord have laid the foundations of the earth does he apply that to the father well, it's out of um, the context of that. So clearly it's talking about um, the father because the okay. passage wouldn't make any sense if the father no. saying this about um, the son. No, no, because you're applying words that the writer of Hebrews does not apply. The writer of Hebrews only applies to God. You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth and the, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Those are the words right. from 25 to 27 that is applied to to. The father about the son in Hebrews 1. Not everything, it would, but that specifically. It would seem that you're making the psalm, the writer of Hebrews literally be doing horrific exegesis because he's saying this is about the son, if what you're saying. But yet the actual psalm is from a son's perspective talking to my God. So no, so no it's not that the, the, psalm, the he, writer of Hebrews is doing terrible eisegesis. He has a revelation of what words and what context is being applied to the son and who is to how he's speaking these specific words prophetically about the son from the father, though. It's the father that's speaking by David about the son, not the father. This is why Hebrews 1 says, but of the son, he says, continuing. He doesn't say this about the angels or this or this. Or this, all of these things he says about the son, mm -hmm. but of the son, he says, and it continues and continuing to say what he says about the son, 
You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. If you're consistent, you have to submit to the, to the fact that the father is applying these words to his son. Not that all of a sudden the thought discontinues. I would disagree with you. I've given my answer in relation to that passage. It's quite clearly the son talking of the father um, in the verse beforehand in the song. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, uh, in, in going back to First Corinthians chapter eight verse six, it says that for us to for unto us is one God, the Father, from whom are all mm -hmm. things. Uh, do you take that to be a negation? When it says for us there's one God, the Father, that that's a negation that anyone else can be God? I would, yeah. Okay. He also says, and for us is one Lord, Jesus Christ. Does the, Is that a negation that anyone else can be Lord other than Jesus? Yes, in the context of um, humanity, yeah. No, it doesn't say context of humanity. So, okay. So that means that the Father is not Lord in the context of humanity, right? Yeah, he's not a human being. Well, it's not, it's not that he's a human being. It doesn't say anything about being human. It's about being these titles, God and Lord. So yeah. is the father, so you so the father is not Lord or is not also Lord of humans? Yeah, it's not, he wasn't made Lord. He's not a human being like Jesus Christ is. Yeah. So he's not God. Wait, so you can only be Lord of human beings if you are, if you are well, human? If, if you actually look at the verse beforehand, it actually says that there's many Lords. How many Jehovah's did the pagans um, actually so think called was? Lord. It's so called. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was taught in relation to the pagans. There are many lords and there are many gods. So, again, there's one God, so which is the Father, and there's one Lord, which is Jesus Christ. That can only be talked about in relation to rulers, like kings and such. Otherwise, um, then the pagans thought there was many Jehovah's, which then again, that means so actually that's polytheism. So then that would mean that the Father is not Lord, correct? Jesus is. Yeah, no, in the human sense, yeah. It doesn't say human sense. It doesn't mention human sense. Jesus is human. not human sense. Jesus and, uh, is a human being, and the verse beforehand is clearly talking about rulers of the world. Well, so the Father is not the ruler of the world? Well, Satan is also called the ruler of the world, but this is specifically talking about human beings. The passage is so talking who's about the ruler of rulers of the world. Okay. So when so is this a contradiction then when Jesus and Luke says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Is is Jesus contradicting Paul or Paul contradicting Jesus when Jesus calls the Father Lord of heaven and earth? No, because obviously that's talking in relation to God, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's Lord is rulership. It's God yeah, is ruler. The Father is ruler in heaven and earth. Yeah. So you said rulership in well, no, but it's not about it doesn't say anything about humans. It's talking about rulership. So it says that the father is Lord ruler of heaven mm -hmm. and earth. While Paul mm -hmm. says there's only one Lord, one ruler, and that's Jesus. So yes, in the human sense, a contradiction. no, it wouldn't because the context in relation to the verse beforehand explicitly says in relation to Lord's as in rulers, nothing to do in relation to Jehovah's or anything like that. So even if you wanted to say that this is the case, then that still negates um, the plural persons other than one God and this one Lord. I don't know, because the debate's about Unitarianism. I don't know how this um, contradicts, um, the, because the Father can't be Lord for some reason, how that stops him being God. 
Well, so you said that because there's the statement, one God, the Father, that that's a negation of anyone else being able to be identified as God in the way that yeah, the Father asked me that. So that means, asked me that. Let me. So I, I know I asked you that because I wanted to show you how your logic contradicts itself. Because, or, well, if you don't have a problem, uh, well, you have, you have where the Father is called Lord of heaven, earth, ruler of earth. You, you said that Jesus is the ruler of earth. Jesus is our ruler, our Lord. Paul says right. there's only one who is Jesus at the negation of even the Father, you said. So you have Jesus contradicting Paul, where Jesus says that the Father is Lord of heaven and earth, while uh, Paul says, no, only the Father is Lord, according to you. No, because the Father, is, the Father is the Lord of Jesus, which we see in um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 27 to 28. Also, the head of um, Jesus is God, um, which wouldn't make sense oh. if he is God. So this is clearly talking about God as a um, being as deity, the Father. And the other one is Lord in the general sense of humanity. Do, do you have a, in, 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 uh, in Jude chapter one, <clears throat> it says that Jesus is our only master and Lord. Would you agree with that? I would say it's a textual variant. Some say that, yeah. Well, that's, well, that's what it says. Uh, it says in Jude chapter one that, uh, mm -hmm. that Jesus is our only master and Lord. And he's yeah. the one who cast judgment on, and who's the one who cast judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah? Um, so you're talking about Genesis 1, uh, sorry, Genesis 19, verse 24. Yeah, it's one Yehovah, and the word that's used there is me'et. Me'et means from, with, and it's literally saying that he did it from where he is. It's a form of aliasm. Unfortunately, my time is up. All right. Thank you guys for that very fruitful and lively conversation uh cross examination and i think a lot of people in the live chat got a lot out of it so thank you guys for respecting the rules and diving into it in a in a very uh nah, i would say modest but polite way you know you guys weren't rude to each other but thank you so much all right so now we're transitioning to the closing statements which are five minute closing so audience as they're closing, make sure you get your questions in because we're going to have a 20 minute Q&A at the end of the closing remarks. All right. So that said, Taylor, you're up for your five minute closing and I will start your time as soon as you begin to speak. Yeah. OK, so um, uh, thank you for the discussion. I actually appreciated that. Um, the the point that um, was risen with the last question um, the lords. If you look at the verse beforehand, you see many lords. It wouldn't be talking about Yehovah. Um, so I don't understand why that was brought up because it doesn't refute that the one God is the Father and therefore that therefore there can be multiple persons as that one God um, when it's talked about in the human sense. But the last, the very last question that was raised in relation to Genesis um, 19 verse 24, um, I would like to just um, go into this because we see in First Kings 8 verse 1, it says, Then assembled Solomon, all of the elders from around the heads of the tribes of and the chiefs of um, the fathers of the son of Israel to the king Solomon in Jerusalem. Is there two Solomons? When you, Solomon assembles all of the heads to Solomon, um, where he is in Jerusalem? No, it's clearly a form of Hebrewism, form of Hebrew and um, form of speech. Um, 
We see in, for example, the mere et in Jeremiah 31, uh, uh, verse, sorry, Jeremiah 30, verse 1. Again, it's saying that the word came um, from, sorry, to Jeremiah from, which is mere et, Yehovah. It's just saying that Yehovah does this. Since Yehovah is everywhere, if Yehovah is everywhere, he doesn't need to be in a human person on the earth, and then there is split into persons. And then you have a distinction between the one that's in heaven and the one there. Then you've got two Yehovahs. What it's clearly saying is um, it's a form of reason, which is split of oneself in third person. And this is saying Yehovah did this um, issue from, um, of fire and brimstone onto Sodom and Gomorrah from where he is. Because there are um, translations which grasp the um, thought pattern of this, such as the NLT, the CEV, um, God's um, Word translation, the Good News translation, for example, to name a few. The Me'et, if you look up and do research in relation to the Me'et, it's simply saying that it is one person um, doing this action from where he is. Like, for example, if I pour out water out of my window, Taylor poured out water onto the patio outside from Taylor in his bedroom. It's not two Taylors. It's one Jehovah doing actions from where he is. And when we look at things that Yeshua said explicitly, the, the true worshippers worship the Father, the only true God is the Father, the God of him is the Father, the God of the disciples is the Father, the Jews' God is who they call the um they, it is the father who glorifies me of who you say he is our god and that's interesting because in mark 12 verse 28 to 34 which we talked about earlier in my opens how the jew the scribe responds to the shema that um which is the greatest commandment you have truly stated that he is one there is no other beside him and if this is really into one person, he, who the Jews call their God, and the God of the um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who glorified his son, would be the father, not multiple persons. And then Jesus is saying, um, you are right in relation to Mark 12, verse 28 to 34. You have truly, um, you, was it? He looked, saw that this was a wise um, statement. He says, you're not far, far from the truth. Or far from the kingdom, shall I say, sorry. So he's responding to he is one and no other beside him in relation to as well, this one that's um, glorifying um, Jesus. It wasn't Jesus himself glorifying himself. It was the Father who glorified, who they said he is our God, and he is one, because it's a scribe who's a Jew. He is one, there is no other beside him. The context is explicitly in relation to one, person oneself one panim one presence one face one um, you cannot see my face and live so um i'll just round up there thank you very much for the chat all right thank you taylor for your closing all right avery you're in a seat for your five minute closing and i'll start your time as soon as you begin to speak yeah thank you this was fun uh so to 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 continue the point with the jew and uh the the analogies that he brought up were um, they did not match in any way because you have where Yahweh is interacting with Yahweh in uh, when it comes to the Sodom and Gomorrah. You have Yahweh who's literally unearthed, talking with Abraham, communing with Abraham, getting his feet washed and resting with Abraham. And then 
raining down sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. So you have Yahweh who's interacting with Yahweh, Yahweh on earth, who's literally interacting with the Yahweh who's in heaven. So you do not like the, these analogies that he brought up just did not match um, the situation that we see in Genesis 19 verse 24. Also, we have here uh, in Jude chapter four, where it says here that our only master and Lord Jesus Christ, there's no textual variant here on this. The, 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 the scripture is very clear. It says, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ, just like how he quoted John 17, three. This is the reason why this was relevant. He quoted John 17, three, where uh, he says, uh, or Jesus says that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He's taking the word only, modifying the person of the father, thinking that only the father is the true God. Well, no, that's not true. The word only is modifying true God, not saying that only the father is the true God, but that the father is the only true God along with the son and the spirit. This is why he continues to talk about how he gives eternal life, how he existed with the father from before the world was even created. So it's, it's relevant to his argument because he's using only to negate everything else. That would mean here that our only master and Lord is Jesus Christ at, at an exclusion of the Father. The Father is not our master and not our Lord, as you heard him say earlier. He literally said this. And this is the problem that Unitarians get into. They now have to go into heresy in saying, yeah, you're, you know what? The Father is not our Lord. That's blasphemy. That's crazy to say. Also, when you continue this, our only master and Lord Jesus Christ, Jude chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, verse 5. Now, I want to remind you, Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now, here's where the textual variant would be. That in some, some manuscripts, it says that the Lord who once saved uh, a people out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt. Well, hold on a second. Who's the only Lord according to this context? It's Jesus Christ in verse 4. So according to Jude, Jesus Christ is the only Lord, right? Well, if you take the, the, the word Jesus out of verse 5 and just leave the textual variant where it says, the Lord who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, according to the context, that Lord is the only Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the God who saved Israel out of the land of Egypt, who called Moses to himself, visited him in the midst of the fire of the bush, in the bush, and said that where you stand, you're standing on holy ground, and I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, your fathers. And I've come because I remembered my covenant and I see the anguish of my people. This was Jesus there. The same God that Jacob says that he prayed to, that he gave supplications to, that he prayed to bless Judah and the rest of the Israelites that he was praying over. The, the angel who is God, who he said kept him all of his days, preserved him all of his days. Genesis chapter, chapter 48, verses 14 to 15. The same God that Jacob uh, uh, ascribes is God, the Yahweh, who was at the, the top of the stairs, right? This is the same God who the Father says, right, who created all things that would even wear out. This is tough. So you have continuously where God is identifying himself, presenting himself as a plurality of persons, the Father being God, the Son being God, the Holy Spirit being God, united in one essence, not separate, but distinct from each other. 
clearly. So in a Unitarian worldview, you have to deal with the contradiction that the Father is not your Lord. You have to deal with the contradiction that Yahweh created all things by himself, while John 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, says that Jesus was there with the Father creating all things that ever came into existence. As a Unitarian, this view, this biblical view collapses. It does not work. You have now a creature that you're ascribing salvation to, eternal salvation to, a creature who you're saying can redeem you eternally of your sins, who's holy enough, pure enough to take the scroll out of the Father's hands. You're saying a creature is able to do these things. That is biblical illiteracy and heresy. Thank you for the time. This was a beautiful time. Thank you, Marlon, for having us. Thank you, Taylor, for participating. I hope that everyone learned uh, from this conversation. I hope you guys took notes and I uh, hope you guys are blessed by, by this conversation. All right. Yeah. Thank you both for the great discussion. Uh, definitely got a lot out of it. I definitely learned some things in the background. Uh, most people like think I'm back here twitting my thumbs, but I am actually learning. And that's what you're supposed to do during the debate. You ain't shooting you guys twitting your thumb playing on your phone. But I'm back here learning. And so I'm sure I learned and the live chat learned from you guys' discussion. And I thank both of you for keeping a good decorum while you guys debated. All right. So now what we're going to do is transition to our Q&A. And we're going to have a 20-minute Q&A here. So you got any last-minute questions, guys? Get those questions in. Um, and we're going to start this off with a super chat from Mr. Chris Kloss. All right, everybody know Chris Kloss. Thank you so much, Chris, for the super chat. And uh, if you guys are wondering, like, hey, how did Chris give a super chat? He gave it through PayPal. Because if you guys don't know, the gospel truth got in trouble with YouTube for using uh, social media from other platforms. And they claim that I didn't make enough changes to the social media content so they said oh you're wow. being demonetized so i put it out there i already made a comment about it a couple of videos ago but if you guys don't know that's why you don't see the little dollar sign at the in the live chat or you can't support the ministry monetarily but it's okay because december i'll be back in the, in the grind in that capacity so no worries guys but nonetheless uh chris gave a super chat through paypal and i appreciate the support and so he has a question for you taylor and isaiah forty-eight sixteen, who is speaking who is the lord and who is his spirit and i have 48 so, i have 48 yeah. 16 here if you don't remember the verse here's the verse yeah. if you no, remember it so um, I would have to come to an assumption that he's saying one Jehovah sending another and he's talking about the second Jehovah um, the one that is um, being sent with the Holy Spirit is actually um, I believe it's um, Isaiah because you see a switching of the speaker between um, chapter 39 all the way through and it's, sometimes it doesn't seem to indicate clearly, it doesn't say thus says Jehovah but you see the form of speech um, switching that um, Isaiah is talking of his God or our God, but it doesn't show that clearly. So when you see, um, when it says Jehovah sent me with his spirit, it's not Jehovah sent another Jehovah, it's um, actually Isaiah switching, and then he goes back to saying, Thus says Jehovah in that passage. All right, Avery. Yeah, there's no, uh, in the context, there's no switch of the, per the person who's speaking. The same person is continuing to speak, uh, says, draw near to me, hear this, from the beginning, 
I have not spoken in secret from the from the time it came to be. I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. There is no switch in the persons that's talking here. Uh, again, you got to kind of do the gymnastics here. But it's very clear that God is still speaking and says that he's sent by God and his spirit. That, uh, that he's, he's sent by God with the, uh, his spirit. So, yeah. All right. Uh, just you, you guys didn't violate this rule, but I forgot to tell you guys. Uh, you guys get one minute each to deal with the, the question at hand. All right. So let's let you guys know. All right. So uh, thank you for that again, uh, Chris. Appreciate you, buddy. All right. We have a question here coming from Chuck Chuck. Thank you for the question. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming it's for you, Taylor. Yeah, I see the Tay there. But yeah, uh, it says, is Matthew chapter 21, 15 through 16, a fulfillment of Psalms, chap uh, Psalms 8, 1 through 2, according to Jesus? If yes, who is the person being honored and revered in Psalms 8, 1 through 2 by babies? That is also being revered, uh, revered in Matthew chapter 21, 15 through 16. So if you don't remember that verse, I could pull it up here. So you guys don't have to get the typing. Here is the, uh, the Matthew verse here. Uh, it says, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the marvelous things which he had done and the children who were sh uh, shouting in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear that these children are, uh, what these ch children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? Uh, what do you say, Taylor? Yeah, I would actually agree that would be about um, the Messiah. And I believe the psalm, um, the psalm also says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of Jehovah. Um, I think it's Psalm 118. And also in it's Matthew 23 as well, says this. Um, and it's, again, that in itself shows that the person comes in the name of Jehovah. Um, it doesn't mean that that person is Jehovah himself. But yeah, I would agree that it's in relation to the um, the Messiah. And right. the other part of it was, what was it? Sorry, yeah, that the the children are saying, blessed is it. Yeah, I, I would say that's in relation to the Messiah. All right, uh, Avery, any, any thoughts? Yeah, I think that this is uh, showing a clear uh, context where the Messiah is being worshiped and um, out of the mouth of babes that God is being worshiped and, and given adoration. Uh, so it, you, you have these parallels that, that the disciples make after the revelation of Jesus. Clear examples where, he, where the worship that's ascribed to Yahweh God in the Old Testament is being fulfilled and being applied to Jesus in the new. Really, there's, there's no way around this stuff, man. The, the Bible forces you to be Trinitarian or else you have a conflict. You have a conflict here. You have a create a creature being being glorified. All right. And here's a question for you, Avery. John 114 is referring to the fulfillment of Yahweh's uh yeah, Yahweh's promise to place his word in a prophet like Moses, that Yahweh promised Moses he would send. Do you agree Jesus is this prophet? Yeah. All right. 
<laughs> that's, that's what I'm talking about. Straight to the point, man. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. I'll see every every you got nothing to say, Taylor. You got it, man. Yeah. Um actually that um backs uh, exactly what I was saying earlier about John one verse one. Um the word is a promise the about the um Messiah, and in that promise is the light which is talking about the person of Jesus, because you see John the Baptist is not that light. So that promise becomes Jesus Christ. That actually refutes Jesus' pre-existence. All right. And here is another question for you, Taylor. Uh, actually, this was for Avery, both of you guys. So we'll deal with this one. Uh, thank you, Maribel, for the question. Appreciate it. Are you guys willing to debate on the angel of the Lord being God? It seemed when Taylor debated Chris, Chris was unprepared to, to do it uh unprepared do it was a one-sided debate so uh chris is yeah we'll talk about that after but chris is in the live chat so maribel if you feel that i think she's talking about chris claus i believe she's talking about chris claus but yeah if you feel that chris claus was unprepared you could definitely chop it up with him and he probably can give you some clarification on what you may think of him being unprepared all right thank you maribel for the question moving on all right this question is for you taylor question from uh Mount again all right what's up brother how you doing out there man i hope you're doing well uh why does matthew chapter 28 verse 19 use names plural instead of names singular if god is not a trinity and how are all three persons in different places during jesus baptism hmm. so in relation to the baptismal formula some people believe that this is a later um, rendition around about the third century i personally wouldn't have a problem with this um being actually in the earlier manuscripts anywhere but the multiple the word the father son and holy spirit and one name or three persons one name according to trinitarians i would also show a verse where it says bless the lads in the names of my father uh, sorry in the name in the name of my fathers um abraham and isaac how many persons do you have there are they one person it's just a form of um hebrew speak so i wouldn't say that that um shows three distinct persons that are one being having one name all right. And the, re oh, and, and, and the reason that there's three persons um, from your view is because you think that there's three persons, but what you have is the Holy Spirit being poured out onto Jesus at his baptism, and Jesus is a human being. All right. Uh, Avery, any thoughts? Yeah, uh, that's a, a clear uh, verse talking about the plural nature of, of the Godhead. You have the one name that is being applied to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, in the Unitarian view, you have to concede that a human is being applied to the name of Yahweh, uh, where, man, I mean, he's, he literally says that he gives his glory to no other. But yet you want us to ignore this and say that Yahweh is a liar and that he does give his glory to another. And in fact, it's a it's a human other that he gives his glory to and exalts. Uh, so, yeah, it is a clear uh, reference to the three persons. And when it comes to God's name. Uh, that represents his presence, his will, his authority, his being. It does represent that. This is why in Exodus you see that the angel of the Lord, God says, uh, I will send my angel before you, um, you know, listen to him for my name is in him. This is why you should listen to him. For my name is in him and he won't forgive your trespasses. 
right? And then he later on, a few verses later, says, I will go before you. So, man, the name of God being applied to, it cannot be applied to creatures. It cannot. You do not see this in scripture. It's only God and God alone. It represents his presence, his nature, his, his, his will and authority. This is definitely a Trinitarian passage that even early church fathers quote um, in their time. So it's, it's in all the manuscripts. It's, not a, it's in all the manuscripts and the early church fathers quoted. So. All right, all right. And Avery, there's a question for you. Ask our logic why Clement was Unitarian. And one Clement 59, four, let all the Gentiles know that thou art the God alone and Jesus Christ is thy son. This sounds quite similar to John 17. Well, uh, if it sounds similar to John 17 to you, then you will see that it's not a Unitarian statement. Uh, again, recognizing that God is the father and Jesus is the son of God, the father is not a negation of the divinity of Christ. This is someone who is not understanding Trinitarian view, Trinitarian beliefs, and Clement was not a Unitarian. So, uh, and, and, and Jesus was not a Unitarian in John 17, who says, I give eternal life. I have authority over all flesh. That having eternal life is knowing you, the only true God, modifying only true God, it's, it's true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He's in the equation of salvation and eternal life, who, had glory with the Father before the world, the cosmos, the universe, even existed. That doesn't sound like a Unitarian to me. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a clear misunderstanding of Clement's words. All right, uh, Taylor, any thoughts? Um, well, personally, I don't go by uh, church fathers, um, but reading Clement's um, writings, from what I understand. Um, there's only actually one that's been um, authenticated as being from him. The other ones are like not sure about. Um, personally, um, that sounds to be Unitarian, what was um, stated, but uh, regardless if it's um, Trinitarian or uh, Unitarian, I can't really care what the Church Father says. So. All right. And here's a question for you, Taylor. How does the Unitarian position make sense of Romans chapter five, verse eight, where God loves is love is shown, proved for us by Christ dying, if Christ is not also God to show that love? Um, because what we see in the Old Testament in relation to Abraham with his um, son, um, he loves Jehovah God so much that he follows the um, commandments that he puts down. And then we see that the love that the father has to give his only son that we can all be forgiven, that's the same love that was shown. God gave his only begotten son. Jesus didn't pre-exist according to 1 Peter 1.20, um, John 1.14. It's literally talking about the foreknowledge. God already had this in his plan that this, he was crucified from the beginning of time. All right, uh, Avery, any thoughts? Yeah, I disagree that uh, first Peter um, negates the idea that Jesus pre-existed. I mean, you literally have Peter who's talking about Jesus being the author of life in Acts chapter three, verse 15. Uh, and he's continuous with this thought where in first Peter chapter one, I believe it is that he says that the, the saints are calling on the name of Jesus and that grace and peace comes from God, the father and Jesus Christ and the spirit. So 
I, I just think that that's, uh, that that's um, you know, not good exegesis to try to say that Peter's going against the pre-existence of Christ. All right. And here's a question for you, Avery. Can you show us a single instance in the entire Bible where anyone tried to make the case for a three-person God without using riddles and hints? Thank you. Uh, the entire scripture. The entire scripture gives us uh, the example, the uh, statements of the uh, description of the God who's multi-personal. You have Isaiah chapter 63 that talks about God who saved Israel, right? Who was anguished in his heart when they were anguished, who it's and it's the angel of his presence, the angel of his face who saved them and who redeemed them and how they grieved his Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit, you have the angel of Yahweh, and then you have Yahweh, all three persons being mentioned and showing their roles in the salvation of Israel and the salvation of that, that's, that's to come. Uh, you have multiple examples of this. You have Peter and Paul who talk about how uh, grace and peace and come from the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, whom all the saints are calling upon and praying to. So uh, you have multiple examples of this. And then obviously Matthew, uh, as we talked about, the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, baptizing the name singular of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Taylor, any thoughts? Um, well, I would say that between us and people in Unitarians, we can quite clearly see that the Father is the God of the um, Jews, the God of the disciples, the God of, um, the, of the Messiah, the only true God. We don't need to go look at this similarity, this similarity, let's say that this is um, God. We see in relation to um, Second Peter, um, sorry, Second Peter, I was a little bit uh, disrupted there. I'm trying to think um, where I was going there. Oh, yeah, the, ma ma the baptismal formula doesn't clearly say that there's one being or one nature that is God. All it says is that there's a name that has multiple persons and that name with uh, multiple persons can also be done with um, the, the name of our fathers, one name, multiple persons. All right, all right. And here's a question for Taylor. Isaiah 63, seven through 14. Who is the savior and who is vexed? Who is the angel of his presence? Um, I'm actually thankful for this question because um, I was going to say something as well, but I lost my train of thought in the last one. Um, God raises up saviors. Um, I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but I've got it in um, one of the videos I've done on my YouTube channel. Um, God raises redeemers, saviors on his behalf, um, saviors when they're in slavery to bring them out of it. So... When you're seeing um, Yehoshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, actually um, being part of that salvation plan, the ultimate saviour is God who raises up the saviours. If you have one person, for example, who um, sees someone drown, but they're not good at swimming and they can't go into the water to save them, if that person runs up to a lifeguard and lets them know and raises them up and they go in, that person's also playing a part in that um, salvation, but the ultimate one, if he hadn't brought it to their um, attention, 
the save the other person that does the swim and such wouldn't be able to save them in the first place. All right, uh, Avery, any thoughts? Yeah, so to answer the question directly, Yahweh is the one who is the savior here and who is the one who was vexed. The angel of, the, of his presence is the angel uh, of his face or the angel of the Lord who redeemed Israel and saved them, who is also the arm of the Lord who split the sea, according to Isaiah 51. And, uh, and in his love and his pity, he redeemed them, the angel of his presence. And then you have, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit here, the angel of his presence, the arm of the Lord, and Yahweh here, who are all being identified in the salvation of Israel with their perspective roles. So that answers the question directly. As a Unitarian, you have a problem with this, where it's God himself, Yahweh, who is the savior of Israel, right? And who... Um, the angel of the Lord saves them, redeems them, and how the Holy Spirit was there uh, preserving them and keeping them throughout the wilderness who they grieved. Uh, so that's that's how you answer your question. You have the Trinity in Isaiah 63. All right. And here is a final question of the night will be for Avery. All right. Uh, if the Trinity is biblical, how do you explain the idea that eternal God, that the eternal God died without the part that died being considered God himself? Re Hold on, I'm waiting for the question to come up on the screen. Can you repeat the question? It sounds like a misrepresentation uh, of Trinitarianism anyway. All right, it says, if the Trinity is biblical, how do you explain the idea that, e that eternal God died without the part that died being considered God himself. Yeah, I, I don't I don't really understand the question exactly. I kind of have an idea what he, what the person might be asking. Uh, so let, let me just break down the hypostatic union then. So uh, when we're talking about the death of Christ, the death of Christ who has two natures, he has the divine nature and the human nature, he died according to the flesh. It's his flesh that that you know, died or that ran out that bled or that was sweating, things of this nature. It's his flesh that died. There is no partialism or anything like that. I, I just, Jesus says to himself that he, he's the one who lays down his life and he has the authority to pick it back up again. No one takes it from him, but he lays it down that he may pick it up again, this charge he received from his father. So, um, and then you have Jesus who says that he raised himself up from the grave in John chapter two. So I would ask Lan, um, you know, how would you reconcile Jesus who says that he will resurrect himself, lay down his own life and has authority to pick his own life again. How can he do that if he himself is not God? Uh, so yeah, I, I, that's the best way I can deal with this question. It didn't really seem like it represented my views correctly. I tried to wing it kind of. All right, uh, Taylor, any thoughts? Yeah, um, God can't die. Uh, God doesn't die. The whole purpose of if a human being, a flesh, let's just say this human nature dies, it's not God. God did not die. A person that's supposedly God and man, which is contradictory, died as a human being. The human flesh died. Um, 
And you also don't mix account of hypostatic union, both of the natures, that Jesus has um, two natures, but you don't mix them. You've got the deity nature and the human nature. The human nature died, not God. So therefore, why do you need uh, um, a God to become a human being? But Malachi 3 verse 6 says, I, Jehovah, do not change. That makes no sense that Jehovah does change, becomes a human being to die for your sins when a piece of flesh dies, not the actual God. When God can't die. Doesn't make sense. All right, all right. That is the final question of the evening, guys. So how do you guys think it went? That's fine. I liked it. Have fun. Yeah, it was a good time. man. I am glad to have you guys, man. You guys are so respectful, man. It's always a good indication that you guys are invited back. So <laughs> just let you guys yeah. know that you guys are definitely invited yeah. back so uh we had a lot of fun and i pray that uh a lot of the guys out there in live chat got a lot out of this as well and uh i love to hear you guys opinion of these guys in the live chat if you guys want to show some love but nonetheless you guys were great i appreciate you guys and i look forward to perhaps doing this again sometime uh do you guys have any closing words before i let you guys go the only, the only thing I would like to say for the other person that left the comment earlier about the debate, I'll happily do a debate with Avery uh, if you would like to in relation to the angel of um, Jehovah, because that's what she was saying, bringing up, um, if he would like to do that. We can talk about that through emails or whatever, if, if you want to do that, in relation to the angel of Jehovah being Jehovah or not. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, you know where you guys going to do it at, too. So I'm not even giving you guys an option. Uh, to do it somewhere else so you know what you're doing it at so that's already that's already sold up so it's just a matter of figuring out the details <laughs> good stuff guys i appreciate okay. you guys so much man you guys enjoy the rest well avi enjoy the rest of your night and taylor it is early morning over there so go ahead and get some rest where you're at man and enjoy your day when you wake up man you guys be blessed and you guys take care all right talk to you soon god bless be well thank you god bless all right god bless all right another exciting debate in the books man i hope you guys enjoyed it man this was a fun debate great debate uh the communication was great um and i, I just think that it went well especially especially you know you know with the audio issues earlier we was able to get that audio issue fixed and able to uh uh get this conversation back on board so thank you guys for coming out and Thank you to everyone. Uh, I think it was only one person anyway. Uh, Chris calls for supporting the ministry through a PayPal. Um, yeah, so I reiterate, guys. Uh, my uh, The gospel truth has been demonetized. So I know a lot of guys are like, hey, how can I get super chats? Uh, it's been demonetized. It's not something sinful I did or anything that I did that got demonetized as far as like sin is concerned. Uh, the YouTube has accused the gospel truth of using social media platforms like Instagram or something like that and using it as a piece of content, but not changing it enough to make it my own content, if that makes sense. Well, you guys know I'm not in the business of stealing content. I don't need to steal content. Uh, this platform has over 10,000 subscribers. So I know you guys wouldn't support this ministry if I was just robbing people's content, right? So it's all original over here. And yes, when I use content, I do try to manipulate it to make it my own content. So. I think that it, that YouTube yeah, sort of fluffed the bed on that one, but that's my opinion. But nonetheless, I am being punished by YouTube and I won't be able to regain my monetization um, until December. All right. So I've already went through the, the, um, the whole protocol of trying to, you know, 
reject their claim or reject their ruling and it, I failed. So nonetheless, I will just sit on it until December until everything works out, all right? But nonetheless, uh, if you are interested in supporting the ministry, I do have other ways of supporting. You can look in the description of this video and you can see the support links there uh, to support the ministry, all right, if that's your choice. But nonetheless, I'm not gonna beat that dead horse. It's up to you guys. Thank you guys if you do. Um, I do look forward to the other debates that are coming up here in the future, so hopefully you are too. And uh, make sure you subscribe. I trust that everyone that's watching this debate is subscribed especially the ones in the live chat <laughs> obviously you have to subscribe to support in, in the live chat you have to su subscribe in order to comment so i know you guys are subscribers but those who are just watching the debate for the first time and have yet to have yet to subscribe please do that it is a great channel so support the ministry with a subscribe and hit that notification bell on the gospel truth so you don't miss out on any debates or anything in the future all right and that said i'm getting out of here and i'm going to enjoy the rest of my evening and i pray that you will too look forward to next time may god bless you and may god keep you going